Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Fearless Paranoia podcast, where we are demystifying the complex world of cybersecurity. I am Brian, the cybersecurity attorney. And I'm Ryan. I'm a cybersecurity architect. And today we're going to talk about another in a long line of recent hacks. In reality, we probably could do, and who knows, maybe should do, a weekly show on the most recent absurd data security story out there on the internet. This week we're going to talk about a slightly different story than what we normally talk about. Usually we're talking about bumbling companies who couldn't find cybersecurity, you know, with a flashlight. Yes, I'm talking about Uber. Uh, But today we're actually going to talk about how hackers can get information without actually needing to hack a company themselves. So about two weeks ago, we got some news that the genetic profiling service 23andMe has launched an investigation into the security on its website after an unknown entity posted on an online crime forum essentially offering for sale the private information of millions of 23andMe users. Now, according to the post, the 23andMe CEO was aware that the company had been hacked two months earlier and never revealed the incident. 23andMe has said that nothing indicates that the hackers obtained any health information, and most importantly, that it wasn't actually 23andMe that was hacked. They have confirmed that the private data for some of its users is up for sale in that online forum, but they claim that the cause of the leak is a version of data scraping. I got to be honest, Ryan, this was one that when I read, I was trying to understand. Data scraping, when I think of it, is like when LinkedIn sues to stop a company from scraping the publicly available information on its website because it's a violation of their terms and service. But this is not the same thing. Ryan, tell me what is actually going on here. And I mean, to some extent, it is similar, but you're right. It's not the same thing. So in this case, 23andMe is a paid service. It shares this information as a means to take their data sets, their DNA, and work through algorithms. They have to start building these connections to, you know. I'm sorry, Ryan. For anyone out there who doesn't know, 23andMe is the competitor to Ancestry.com. It's one of those, you know, I don't know fully how the process works. I imagine you spit in a vial, put it in the mail, send it in. I don't participate in these because I know how they work and what they keep. But just... In case anyone didn't know, this is what we're talking about. They collect and aggregate and compare DNA samples to do sort of the same thing as Ancestry.com. Sure. And there's other similar sites that do the same thing, same type of collection to do things like allergen tests or other food sensitivity tests, things like that nature. But 23andMe in particular is using this to tie together genealogy. They want to tie together people or other indicators that you and your DNA could be directly tied to. And this can be as simple as showing where your ancestry comes from, like based on your DNA, what part of the world you originate from, or what type of people you closely are tied to at that you know DNA level. But they've taken it a little step further and they've started to do comparisons of the actual DNA to start to tie together people that potentially could be offshoots from those same early branches you know, of kind of the human tree here. And so they do that as a way, uh, it's a service that they're offering to entice people obviously to stay on the service as one as any business wants to do but really what they're offering is the ability for people to build small community that they may not have otherwise knew existed and have other opportunities to interact with that data at that level the downfall of what happened here is just like with anything else that you put on linkedin any data that you put out on the internet is effectively public this one is behind what's supposed to be a secure perimeter so it wasn't supposed to be openly public but again it's still being stored by a third party which means the data is outside of the 
hands of the people to whom it originated from. And in this case, it wasn't 23andMe's systems that fell under some sort of intrusion. This was a simple, basic thing that happens on the internet each and every day to many different sites and to many different people, known as credential stuffing. Again, this was a bad actor taking passwords and usernames from known hacks in the past, and there's been no shortage of those. You can go to sites like haveibeenpwned.com and see just all the different sites over the years that have leaked that sort of data out. And those lists are available in a lot of cases on criminal forums, hacker forums, and whether in some cases freely, in some cases for purchase. But known threat actors that are profiting off of exploiting people will even purchase these lists, especially if they're current or recent, because there's a good chance of efficacy behind those username password combinations being effective in attacks. And then they tie in automation, artificial intelligence, uh, and different tools to start using those common username password combos across a whole variety of known sites, especially if they can tie you to those, that would be really great. But in most cases, they just kind of blast out credential stuffing attacks the same way you used to kind of brute force back in the day. It's like a targeted brute force activity with known working credentials. Well, and I want to jump in real quick here and bring up that this was a pretty interesting discussion we had when we talked about the LastPass data breach, because we discussed how important it was, even if you went through and you had changed all of your credentials, you changed your login, your password, if they could identify you and they had your LastPass account, even if it was outdated, they still had information about all the different registration websites that you had a login and password for. That is not just benign, useless information. No, it's an active list of targets. Yeah, and we're, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the privacy implications of this later, but one of the big things that I really want to make sure that we get across in this episode is that any component of any bit of information about you can be assembled into a bigger picture about you. And just because you think you have nothing to hide doesn't mean that that information is not valuable. There are a lot of things that can be done with basic information about you, even if you think it's benign. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And criminals will use whatever intelligence they can find like that to really target those attacks because it makes them more effective. So in this case, the criminals here identified that they were able to access a significant portion of 23andMe accounts using known username password combinations, most likely from previous breaches, attacks. It could even be from maybe LastPass. Maybe uh, people started decrypting some of those vaults that were out there. It could have been from even as far back as like the old LinkedIn breaches from many years ago. If people have set up 23andMe and you never change your password. The high likelihood if you don't change your password on your accounts, you're probably also the type of person that would reuse passwords across accounts, which again, opens up this type of exploit. So now you have to consider 23andMe users have easy to use or repeat passwords. So a bunch of accounts are available to this threat actor, to this hacker, which means they can get in there. Okay. So they can take a look around your account, but what can they really do, right? Well, they can pull any of the information, which again, could be your personal information, could be your address, your phone number, probably like last form, a payment card. I'm sure hopefully their stuff is a little bit secure to that level where they couldn't just pull out full payment details or something, but they can pull out information about whatever type of testing 23andMe has done for you. And again, the problem that they're getting into this time is they've taken this one step further, right? They're not just doing the testing and the data aggregation for the single user, for the person that's the client. They're taking this and they're combining this information across their whole user base and starting to build those cross-client connections. And they're opening that data up between other users so that they can have the ability to see other people that they 
they may be related to or may be tied to in some sort of fashion. So that building of those connections internally right there and making that data available to the customer means that anyone that has access to the customer's account also has the ability to build those cross connections, which means you can start tying people together based off of things like familial ties, religious ties, potentially, if, if you want to tie those together at the family level. Depending if they're doing more genetic testing, you can start building minute medical profiles. You can start really tying together a ton of information, but more importantly, user names, ages, locations, all of that kind of data that was there is all stuff that's potentially sitting inside these threat actors databases now after they've pulled this information. And the fact that they were able to do so rapidly from quite a few different accounts shows that they did most likely some planning to add a little bit of strategy to this attack to make sure there was a good enough haul to make it worth their while. So while it may not be really clear up front what the full intent was, behind this other than just pulling information, which again is valuable enough in and of itself. But to me, this information doesn't seem hugely financially motivated. And so it leads one to wonder what what could come of all this and what kind of other devious means could come from the, the harvesting of this data and the publishing of this data. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. For more information on keeping yourself, your family, and your company protected against cyber threats, check out the Resilience Cybersecurity and Data Privacy blog. If you're enjoying this podcast, please like and subscribe using any of your favorite podcast platforms. Also, please share this podcast with anyone you think would find it helpful or useful. We rely on listeners like you to help get the word out about this show, and we appreciate the support. Now, time for some more cybersecurity. Well, and just a couple numbers are off the bat that I found here is that they said that, well, first of all, that the, apparently the big issue was that you're able to log in and set your system so that people of distant potential relatives can see your information. And apparently that extends to distant cousins. I don't know exactly what they mean by distant cousins, but I'm Irish. Distant cousins means a good chunk of that Emerald Isle <laughs> would be able to see, uh, and also a good portion of Boston and Chicago and all the other places where the Irish diaspora went to would be able to see my information. So first of all, that's exposing information to a lot of people. So many that according to the Washington Post, the data that was taken could cover more than half of the 14 million customers based on the number of people who have opted in to make their who have opted to make their data visible to relatives. Now I want to be very clear. I just said opted in. That was a slip of the tongue because I don't know if it was opt-in. I have not used this site, whether that's opt-in or opt-out. First of all, if you're opting in to making your personal information visible to anyone who may be related to you, just hit your head against the wall a couple times and opt out. If it's an opt out system, then 23andMe has a lot to answer for. That's the kind of information that should never be an opt out. You should have to affirmatively assent to allowing that information to come through. And you know, there's been some events that have passed between when this attack was publicized and the day we're doing this podcast, but the initial advertisement by the people who posted this information to the criminal forum said that it was uploaded as a large database of Ashkenazi Jews. Obviously, between when this posting occurred and now, the horrific events inside of Israel took place. And the bottom line is that you can't separate a lot of these attempts to limit and identify people by racial or religious or national characteristics without it eventually turning into something like this. This is a population that has historically been targeted for many horrible acts of ethnic violence, including one of the worst in human history, the Holocaust that occurred prior to and during World War II. So this is not a benign list. It's not entirely clear whether the posting 
on the forum listed Ashkenazi Jews in order to get some more attention, essentially some free advertising. I suppose if you're selling millions of people's personal information, you don't really care that you may be selling them to neo-Nazis and people willing to participate in, condone, or excuse ethnic cleansing and other acts along those lines. But this is a particularly horrific scenario within the context of everything that's happened since this breach was announced. I do want to talk a little bit about the privacy implications here. So first of all, according to 23andMe, they say that none of the genomic information was stolen in this attack. Now, what I don't know is what you can download from an individual user account. As Ryan said, the hackers were able to access individual accounts and then get information on all of their potential relatives and connections. What I don't know is can you download the information that shows key information about the tests that you requested on yourself? Because obviously if that can be done, then 23andMe's representation is not entirely accurate. The next part about that is that when you're putting this information out there, Ryan said it very well, it's not private when you hand it to a third party. You can keep something within your terms of service and your privacy policy, but the bottom line is a third party has your personal information and you are relying on them to keep it safe and secret. And bear in mind, they don't have to be hacked for your privacy to be violated. You read through a lot of these privacy policies, you find out things like who they're allowed to share the information with. And then you also read things on what happens if they get bought or what happens if their assets get bought. Well, guess what? Companies like this have massive lists of personal information that can be sold as an asset. So there's a lot of different ways that your information can get essentially disseminated to other third parties without you knowing about it. And even if they don't get breached, it doesn't mean that that information is not being used in ways that you didn't necessarily think were possible or appropriate when you first participated. And if you first participated before many of these privacy laws took place, then you really should have some concerns because they have your information without that pre-existing duty to make sure that they only use it for the means that they told you about to begin with. They can't use it for a different purpose without getting your consent and that they can't share it with third parties restricted by their express privacy policies and the laws that currently exist in place. The really scary part though, in my mind, about companies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com is that they managed to get around a key principle in modern privacy laws called data minimization. Data minimization states that as a business, if you are gathering personally identifiable information or if healthcare, it's healthcare information, depends on the business, financial information if you're in finance, obviously, you are limited to the data that you need to do what you are doing, the purpose for collecting the information in the first place. You can't collect and store more than that. So I can't collect all this information on you and keep it if it's not part of what I'm trying to do in the first place. But these companies process genetic information. I can't think of a more permanent, personal set of data than who you are down to your genetic code and who is related to you and who is connected to you. Because those are things that no matter how many times you change your name, change your password, change your social security number, you can't change your DNA. That's permanent personal information that is also incredibly broad because it can be used to define and identify you in a lot of different circumstances. You're listening to the Fearless Paranoia Podcast. We're here to help make the complex language of cybersecurity understandable. So if there are topics or issues that you'd like Ryan and I to break down in an episode, send us an email at info at fearlessparanoia.com or reach out to us on Facebook or LinkedIn. For more information about today's episode, be sure to check out fearlessparanoia.com where you'll find a full transcript as well as links to helpful resources and any research and reports discussed during the episode. While you're there, check out our other posts and podcasts as well as additional helpful resources for learning about cybersecurity. Now back to the show. 
Now, I've talked for way too long in one consecutive stretch here, but Ryan, tell me, am I overly concerned? No, as a matter of fact, everybody should share your level of concern in this one. Um, even people that aren't direct customers of 23andMe, because keep in mind, all of these things spill together when we're on the internet. The internet is one big pool of information when you stand back and look at it from a very high level overview. And so while this information, you know, again, I'm not a 23andMe customer, so I highly doubt that there's probably any direct information about me and my genetics in 23andMe's database. I could be wrong. Maybe they've found a way to pull that in somehow and I'm not fully aware, but the likelihood is that I'm probably pretty safe in this type of instance. Until you consider that because it's genetics, any member of my family that's a member of 23andMe can pretty much declare a lot of genetic similarities with me, which means let's say father, mother, brother, sister, cousins, etc. are in this database, people that share either a connection to me that's obvious, like common last name, a connection that's not as obvious. It almost doesn't matter. There's a lot of ways to use this type of information at this level to really kind of characterize and tie together different pieces of the puzzle. So this information, because it really falls into that like personally identifiable, medically identifiable information is very, very, should be far more heavily protected and uh, regulated information than it is. Again, you can tie people together by passwords used in a breach and things like that and learn little pieces of information, but this is a heavy treasure trove of personal information, especially as we start to get into things like using biometrics to handle account security. Well, no one's really thought about the implication of what if, uh, you know, with the advances in artificial intelligence, machine learning, us piecing these things together, a DNA database could eventually be one of the precursors to starting to piece together uh, ways to get around biometric encryption, biometric authentication. I don't know of any proof of concept. This is probably stretching a little at this point still, but with the way that we've seen technology kind of moving, it wouldn't be far off to think that that's going to be an avenue that's going to be explored at some point in time. And as we keep building more computational power, it becomes a little bit more of a reality. But even beyond that, just being able to tie things together, like let's say it can pick up on people's uh, medical deficiencies. You can pick up on all sorts of different ways to identify and really cause a lot of problems for people based off of this data set. This is one that people really should be pretty concerned about. And equally as concerning too is the method with which it was gained. This type of information should be protected by strong authentication type layers nowadays. The fact that username and password was all that it took to be able to get into a treasure trove like this is problematic. Again, it continues the continued problems of lacking security when putting these systems and these offerings together on the internet. And again, credential stuffing is only as strong as the credential that's being used. So anyone that's going around using the same password and username on numerous websites, sit back and ask yourself, would you use the same key for your front door to your house and to your shed and to your car and to your boat and to everything else? And then would you leave it underneath the rug in front of your front door? When you consider that these sites, these resources, that they're accessing nowadays are their bank accounts, their financial records, their retirement, their genetic information, their medical information, their family's medical information, all these things. It feels continually more and more asinine that we don't respect this layer of security as much as we respect the physical layer because for the physical layer to be breached, somebody really needs to be within proximity. For this one here, there's no proximity required. People can touch these layers from clear around the world outside of extradition and it just it makes it trivial. And by that point, it makes it really difficult for us to undo those things as well or to track those criminals down. And even if we can track them down and make proper attribution, what are we going to do about it if they're sitting in Siberia somewhere and we're in the United States? And on top of that, it's not exactly like you've got the right to be forgotten a la Google web search 
on these criminal forums. It's not as though this data can be made to disappear. And so once it's there, it's there, and what's on the internet lives forever. It shows, again, a couple major problems. It shows bad security practices by average users on the internet. It shows bad security protections in place by a company that stores hugely detrimental data sets. And it shows that the threat actors of the world are looking for both complex technological breakthroughs to break into companies, but they're also looking for low-hanging fruit. And in this case, credential stuffing is about as low-hanging and as easy a fruit as there is to find in today's world. Oh, this is low-tech. This is so low-tech. Yeah, it's finding a pair of keys laying on the street and deciding to walk up to every house on that street and testing the key and see if something works. And having four different houses turns out use the same yeah. key. Yeah, exactly. That's the equivalent here. Or yeah, you find five sets of keys laying on the street and you got five houses. Now it's just a matter of trying each one on each house until you break the code. And in this case, they build tools, scripts, botnets, things that are trying these credential stuffing tacks all day, every day using different lists from different hacks until eventually they get a single hit. And they're willing to spend millions and trillions of cycles of computing technology to get a single hit because a lot of times all it takes is one to really just kind of open Pandora's box. And then we end up with something like 23 and me. Well, you don't have much time left, but I do just want to touch on one key point here when it comes to the privacy aspect of all this too. There's something really kind of interesting from an intellectual standpoint about being able to look on a system and see that you have all of these different relatives in different locations. Now, I will say that the idea that you can actually get personal information about someone who may be a distant cousin without having to send an individual request to that person, a la a LinkedIn invitation, and then have them approve it before that information comes to you is a huge huge freaking problem. And I do not understand why 23andMe would operate a system that allowed that. They claim that this is the first time a problem like this has occurred, but I'm not really sure I would take that one entirely at face value. The other thing is to remember that when all of this data is collected, you can have the best possible of intentions, but you always have to expect that data collection like that will also be at the first available opportunity used to commit wrongs. It's something that we have to bear in mind, that any tool that can be used to surveil can be used to oppress. Any tool tool that can be used to gather and collect data can be used to exploit the data that's collected. And that is something that we cannot forget, especially in light of recent events. I want to thank you all for tuning in today to this episode of Fearless Paranoia. If you enjoyed it, I invite you to subscribe on any of your favorite podcasting apps or platforms. You can also go to our website, fearlessparanoia.com, and sign up for new updates by email. If you believe there are other people who could benefit from it as well, please share it on social media or however you communicate with other people. Apparently, it's possible outside of social media these days. Please do share us. It's how we get this podcast around to other people. We got a lot of really interesting episodes coming up, including our inaugural predictions episode for 2024. So please pay attention for that coming forward. On behalf of Fearless Paranoia, I'm Brian. And I'm Ryan. And we'll see you next time. Bye.